This is Genre Talk. This is Genre Talk. This is Genre Talk. Genre Talk with Brian Thomas Schmidt and Philip Vargas. You know, it's, it's, it's an industry of honesty. You can't honestly uh, recreate experiences and feelings and emotions if you haven't experienced them yourself. Now, here's Brian Thomas Schmidt. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Season 2 of Genre Talk. This is Brian Thomas Schmidt, and I'm very pleased to welcome a new co-host, Philip Vargas. Philip, how are you doing today? Oh, man, I'm doing well. Thanks. Uh, how about yourself? I'm doing great. Really glad to have you joining the show. For those who haven't heard my interview with Philip yet, and you want to get to know a little, little bit more about him, well, check out our preview show, which is posted. He's an interesting guy with quite a background. Yeah, well, hopefully I'm uh, be adding to that story in uh, 2021 with some new exciting projects. But, uh, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see, man. See what yeah, and speaking of interesting guys, what an episode we have for everybody today. Many of you know I've been involved with official Predator tie-ins since 2016. And I'm pleased to announce here that Jonathan Mayberry and I are co-editing a new Aliens vs. Predator anthology, Ultimate Prey. It's the first of its kind. It's coming from Titan Books in December. I personally, myself, love Predator's Yaucha lore, uh, so it's always fun to play in that sandbox. And today's guest starred in not one but two Aliens vs. Predator films as Yauchas, as Predators. And he's here to tell us all about it. He's also appeared in the Harry Potter films, Game of Thrones, Star Wars films, and a whole lot more stuff. His name is Ian White, and we had a really great chat that I can't wait to share with you. Yeah, man, it was a real delight to, to speak to Ian and learn about his film journey, and I hope really everyone uh, enjoys the interview. Remember that whenever, wherever you're listening, you can always find show notes on our main site at anchor.fm slash genre talks podcast. That's anchor.fm slash genre talk podcast. There's links to Ian's social media there, as well as to our Facebook page and so on. You can also find the 14 first season episodes and a couple of extras, including that preview show as well. And if you go to our Facebook page, you'll see a list of upcoming guests and links on how to email in questions and all kinds of stuff that we'll put up. We want to give big gratitude as well to, to our producer, Randy Strew, for coming back for another round. That said, let's just get on to the good stuff. Okay, our guest today is Ian White. He's a Welsh former professional basketball player turned actor and occasional stuntman, although he's probably best known for his portrayal of Predators in both of the Aliens vs. Predators films and the mountain Gregor Clegane in Game of Thrones. He also appeared as a White Walker in, in various characters in Game of Thrones. He has appeared in Clash of the Titans, Star Wars, the Harry Potter franchise, Prometheus, and Hercules. Ian, welcome to Genre Talk. Very nice to meet you. Thank you very much for the invitation. Okay, so you started out as an athlete, I understand. What got you started in basketball? It seems like such a long time ago now, I've almost forgotten. Um, you know, I got into basketball because I was tall. And uh, one of my sports teachers at school was uh, was a basketball player, a rugby player, and he said, uh, you'd be quite useful on the school basketball team. And I didn't disagree with him because, uh, uh, you know, we're talking the 1980s. I was six foot 11 when I was uh, 17 years old. So Good Lord. 
<laughs> school was not a joyful uh, experience for me, shall we say. And I, uh, yeah, I, I jumped at the chance and, it, I, you know, I didn't realise that it would be a, a key to my life. I just yeah. thought it was a, a cool thing to do at the time. Right. But it took me to America and it took me all over the world and uh, playing in the NCAA and the European Cup for various teams around Europe. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, ended up being a nine, ten-year career. So, according to Wikipedia, you played for the Newcastle Eagles and the England national team primarily. And I had no idea that England actually had a national basketball team, so that's interesting. So, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's not the um, it's not the first uh, uh, nation that springs to mind when you think about uh, international basketball success. But um, yeah, we you know we were relative minnows even in even in European competition, and uh, you know I had to learn very very quickly the power of positive thinking, and learn very very quickly the uh, you know the the power of never giving up and the power of um, failure, but we competed, and uh, we competed quite well up to, up to a certain point. I played for England for nine years. I finished my career in Newcastle. That's uh, where I settled down uh, before I'd finished uh, playing. Uh, but uh, prior to that, I played for teams in London. I played for a team in France, in Belgium, in Greece, uh, two teams in Portugal. So I assume so, it does it work? Does it work like it works here? There's a European league, and they trade players around, all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly right. I think it was in 2012 that the uh, British team went to the, the Olympics. Yeah, I was long retired by then. You were long retired by then. I was long okay. retired. The closest I got to the Olympics was uh, playing um, a warm-up game with a uh, warm-up series actually against New Zealand in uh, 2000. Uh, we went to New Zealand basically to help them prepare for the uh, the Sydney Olympics, yeah. and uh, the whole thing was a complete disaster. But we, we we got to see a bit of New Zealand. Yeah. So, uh, were you able to kind of get out of I guess sports? I mean, this happens with a lot of athletes. You know, the injuries is kind of the reason they get out of sports. Others kind of retire. Were you able to kind of get out of uh, basketball without any without any major injuries, or you know, where was it? Like, what was that transition for you from like? Becoming a from being a basketball player to, you know, acting and stunt work and things of that nature. To be honest, it was driven by boredom. I wanted to be in control and I wanted to uh, retire when I wanted to, rather than because I couldn't do the job anymore. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I remained pretty healthy throughout my career since I've retired. You know, I, I've had I've had injuries uh, performing action film and TV that would have killed my career stone dead if I was still a sportsman <laughs> which is ironic, ironic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah the irony right yeah and how how do you make that transition I guess into stunt work or, or acting which one came first I mean you know the, the kind of did you do well, a lot of yeah my first opportunity was Alien vs Predator I, uh, I got a phone call one day from the secretary of uh, the basketball team I was playing for at the time, and she said, "Listen, we've had a casting director on the phone. Would you like to? Uh, would you like me to pass over your phone number?" And my first reaction was, "Nobody wants to put me in a movie. You're pulling my leg. So uh, give her my phone number." 
by all means. And five minutes later, it was uh, the casting director for Alien vs. Predator, and she invited me to London to audition. And it was about... No, I met the director the day after, and about two weeks later, I was invited to Prague to meet with the Creature Effects designers, uh, Tom Woodruff Jr. and Alec Gillis. And it was only about two or three weeks after that that I eventually got a phone call from the producer offer, offering me the part. And this was way back in 2003. And that was for Aliens vs. Predator, the first film with uh, Sonny Lathan, right? Indeed. Yes. Cool. Did they actually shoot that in Antarctica and stuff? Where did they shoot that? <laughs> no. No, but the, the magic of the movie, it was all shot in Prague. Prague, wow. Okay. Apart from one scene in um, where Sonar is, Sonar's character is uh, is climbing uh, is climbing the ice cliff, and uh, Colin Salmon is standing at the top with a helicopter behind him. That was shot in the French Alps. I kind of wondered what they substituted. I knew they didn't go to Antarctica, but uh, <laughs> you know, I'm somewhere like Iceland more than uh, somewhere like Prague. So it's kind of interesting. So, who were some of your favorite actors growing up, and and all that, and and, and what made you consider wanting to be an actor? Well, what, let me ask the first question first. You know, what made me consider being an actor was just an opportunity, really. I never considered it for one moment until the opportunity was in front of me, and I grabbed a hold of it with uh, both hands and didn't let go, and that was 18 years ago. Uh, who were my idols as a child? You know, the movies I used to watch when I was growing up, uh, you know, are classics now and movies that I still like to watch. You know, most of them are older than I am. Many actors that are long gone, people like Steve McQueen, uh, Christopher Lee, Cary Grant, Clint Eastwood, you know, these these gods of the screen of their time who were just, you know, icons of an age. Right. So did you seek when you, you know, you did Aliens vs. Predator, obviously you didn't have any training. Did you decide to go and get training later or did you just kind of learn on the job? It was very much uh, an in at the deep end kind of experience. Yeah, it was a learn by doing, very much so. Uh, luckily, I had two great mentors in the creature effect designers, Alec Gillis and Tom Woodruff Jr. You know, had the original Predator actor, uh, Kevin Bid Hall, been around, I would have bored him rigid with my ceaseless questioning about how to bring life to these characters. But uh, he's, you know, he, he died after Predator 2. So, right, um, right. but. Uh, Tom Woodruff is a uh, you know is a renowned creature effects performer in his own right, and um, so he was a wonderful mentor for me. Being around character actors like uh, uh, Colin Salmon and uh, and um, uh, Lance Henriksen, well, they were they were so gracious and with their you know help and advice, you know it was a joy to be around these people. Well, that's that's awesome. No, I mean uh, it's interesting because I've, I've you know I was fortunate enough to kind of have one of these transitions you know later on in, in life from one career to another and how did you manage that like going from especially since you weren't really looking for acting like you suddenly find yourself in the world of acting suddenly find yourself being asked to do something that you probably you know like you said weren't trained for was there ever any moments of just like oh my goodness am I going to be able to do this you know just just wondering about that the pressure of that Yes, there was a great deal of pressure yeah. because it was such an iconic character. 
that hadn't been seen on screen uh, for about 10 years. And so there was a great deal of uh, responsibility to bring it to the screen in, a, in an, an authentic manner. And, um, you know, right from the very beginning, uh, I was very, very keen for it not to be just a rubber monster. I was very, very keen for it to be a, a, a recognizable character. And I wanted to bring more to the role than just the action, just the physicality. So I gave the character thoughts. I gave the character, you know, motivations. You know, we developed these characters as living, breathing things, not just, uh, you know, not just movie monsters. I never consider any kind of um, fantastical, mythical creature as just a, a creature. They're always, they're always characters in their own right and never, ever judge a character you know no matter how dastardly or devious or, or horrible their, their actions there's always a reason behind it sure they're the hero of their own story which is indeed something we talk a lot about in, in, in writing this stuff sure well so what um i was wondering about is did you have to do any special how'd you learn the movement you want obviously you wanted to it was a uh, what was it michael hall peter michael hall or philip michael hall kevin peter hall Kevin Peter Hall, yes, yeah, sorry. I, I should have remembered his name. I should have looked him up. But you <laughs> obviously wanted to continue his fine work in the previous films. So did you just study how he worked and try to imitate him? How did you decide to, what a predator would look like? You know, well, That's exactly him? what I did. I, I went through the uh, original film frame by frame very, very painstakingly to try and extrapolate some kind of performance framework that I could incorporate into uh, into my own performance and I even did that for the sequel you know I didn't go back to my own performance in AVP I went back to the original once again and you've been in a lot of franchises where you had to wear a lot of makeup so I kind of <laughs> wonder you know you've been in like really big ones like you know Star Wars Harry Potter Alien vs Predator Game of Thrones I mean what's it like to be part of such popular films while remaining so pretty anonymous yourself in a lot of ways you know because you're hidden behind all that makeup and stuff yes you know it's it's it is what it is you know i never i enjoy talking to people about it because that's the moment when i realize hey yeah i have actually been in star wars or worked with ridley scott or been the predator or harry potter etc etc um but other than that, you know, in, in you know, the day-to-day -day running of my life, I, I just get on with life, and it's not really anything that I consider. You probably get as much attention from being tall as you do from uh, anything else, right? I mean, you, know, stand, <laughs> you kind of stand out in a crowd, I imagine, with your height. Who are you tall? No, <laughs> 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 you're, you're a very tall man, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Ian, you got through basketball, brother injury for you said what about acting you mentioned that you had more injuries as an actor or a stuntman uh what what are some of the uh difficulties you've had with uh, the physicality uh you know it's, it's not really difficulty with the with the physicality you know it's just that sometimes accidents happen uh, more often than not it will be the last take of the day <laughs> yeah and the director will be like, okay that's great we got it oh don't mind you know are you okay i'm like yeah yeah, yeah i'm fine as long as you got the shot. Yeah. No, I really, and I, I apologize. I really meant more of just the challenges that come from 
from the physical requirements of the roles. But yes, yeah, absolutely. A lot of the time, a lot of the time, it's the stamina of the uh, you know the filming process that is the difficult thing. For example, um, take the giant characters in Game of Thrones, uh, for example, uh, series three, four, five, six, and seven. You know, we shot the big giant characters uh, in the winter time in December. You know, where it's cold in Belfast and the old studios there in uh, the Titanic Quarter are big old drafty spaces. So, you know, in my big heavy giant costume, it was, uh, you know, a nice little microclimate. I was the only one that wasn't shivering. And then we got to season eight where we shot it in June in the hottest heat wave that Belfast has ever seen. And everybody had uh, cool suits on underneath their costumes, you know, <laughs> sweltering in the heat. And I was just a sweaty, horrible mess from dawn to dusk. <laughs> Which is ironic because weren't you playing a White Walker much of the time? And then you had... Uh, you know, the- <laughs> I played the White Walker in Series 1 and very, very briefly in Series 2. Okay. And then you were the mountain pretty much, right? I was the mountain in Series 2, yes. And then we started yeah, doing yeah. Giants in Series 3. And I forget exactly how many Giant characters there have been, but a, a good old handful. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the physicality of, of the uh, the part. Because I think a lot of people, when they think of like you know the prosthetics, they're thinking a lot about like the amount of time it takes to put on the makeup. But one thing that I, I, I certainly hadn't thought of too much was just the the weight of some of these costumes that you're probably wearing. You know, and I imagine that inc- must be incredibly taxing itself, just the, the, the physical weight of some of this stuff. Is that something that you found uh, challenging in, in, in some of these roles and stuff? I think that the heaviest thing I've ever worn, I, I don't know exactly how heavy it was, was one of the, one of the Star Wars costumes it was, uh, that appeared in um, uh, The Force Awakens. And it was just the size and weight of a small car, it felt like. And I was in it. When we were on set, we, we shot it in the desert and... Um, we actually, when we were, were rehearsing it in, in, in the studio, we were in one of the brand spanking new studios in Pinewood where the floor is nice and, uh, you know, nice smooth concrete. And I had to pull this trolley behind me, uh, uh, this trailer with um, lots of space junk and old droids and bits of metal, etc., etc. And, um, yeah, pulling it across, uh, you know, a, a brand spanking new studio floor was absolutely fine. And then we tested it again outside in the uh, in the car park, and uh, it was a, you know a rutted you know tarmac car park, and again that was okay. And then we tested it again in another studio on a on a parquet floor, and, and that was okay. And then we took it to the desert of Saudi Arabia, and had to drag it across sand, which was impossible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That caused a few problems, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta train like you're actually gonna do the thing, or else you you find those surprises. <laughs> Indeed. So stuck in the sand. We 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 kind of glossed over that, but how? I mean, you spent a lot of hours in the makeup chair. I mean, how how long did it take to get the predator makeup? Oh, there's no makeup in the predator, but just apart from the eyes. It's, oh, um, okay. Uh, the eyes are blacked out, and uh, and then the uh, you just put it on like a like a crash helmet. Oh, okay. I thought I thought it was probably prosthetics, a lot of prosthetics and stuff. But you actually had like a head you put on and that kind of stuff. Indeed. Oh, okay. Okay, were there make were some of the? I assume some of the other roles were more makeup heavier, or have you mostly just done the costume thing? Yeah, no. Uh, Prometheus was about five and a half hours in uh, in the makeup chair from beginning to end. The uh, Game of Thrones again, about three three and a half hours per character. 
I imagine it must take incredible amounts of patience to be able to sit there for that long and deal with all that. I mean, that's just got to be draining. It helps if you're made of patience. Um, you know, I've, I've done it so many times that, uh, you know, a great many of the, the, uh, the makeup artists uh, are now my good friends. So, so we get on very well. And uh, it's nice to you know, spend time with friends. <laughs> Yeah, you spent. I, I know. I remember when I, I've worked on a couple of films myself, and and I remember the makeup people were always really chatty, friendly people, which I'm sure helps with their job because the people the people have to come in and sit in chairs, and you know if, if they're in a bad mood or they're frustrated, you know the makeup people can keep them calm, keep them happy. You know, I'm sure it, it, they have to kind of be everybody's friend, I imagine. So we didn't talk much about Game of Thrones. I know our audience will want to know more about Game of Thrones. But let me ask you one more Predator question, then we'll go to Game of Thrones for a bit. There were several Predators in the Aliens vs. Predator films. Uh, did you play more than one, or did you just play one particular Predator? Yeah, uh, well, the the body suits are the same for all the Predators, and the way they distinguished the characters was just different helmets, different uh, configurations of armor, different weaponry, etc., etc. There were three main characters. One of them makes it to the end before dying, and then there was an, an elder, a main elder character at the end. Um, altogether, different costume changes. There are probably probably about seven different characters. So you you played all of those. They didn't have another predator actor from time to time. Yeah, there was a it was a team effort between myself and a few other uh, yeah a few other performers that were brought in on a day to day basis and a gotcha. couple of stunt doubles. There was but one were the main. You were kind of the main on set all the time guy. Gotcha. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. So then Game of Thrones. Um, obviously, you played the White Walker early on, and then the Mountain came in later in the story. Were there other roles you played in, in, in any of that? Yeah, I started playing the giant characters in Series 3. And uh, Series 3 and Series 4 was a similar character. And then Series 5 and 6 was the same character called 1-1, who dies heroically at the Battle of... Um, I've forgotten what the battle was. The Battle of... <laughs> something anyway <laughs> big battle I I know, the bastards, that was it yeah and then there were some undead giants towards the end oh to get up okay. to dastardly evil things yeah were you familiar with Game of Thrones prior to the work you did prior to auditioning no not at all yeah. never even heard of it now we, we heard that there, there was this big thing that was going into production and no one had ever heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> so I started reading it. <laughs> and I read it. I read like the first three or four books. And then one day my son, who was very young at the time, picked up uh, the book that I was reading. It was uh, beside my bed and my bookmark fell out. And I haven't read any more of it since. <laughs> you lost your place. Well, I can understand. You know, those are thick books, man. I mean, I only, I think I've only read so far myself. But that's just, you know, general busyness. But yeah, I hear you. <laughs> So this is kind of like asking any writer to choose their favorite book, which I always hate that question myself because they're all my babies. But did you have a favorite role so far that you played? You know, they all mean different things for different reasons, which is the honest answer. I mean, I can't pick just one. As you say, they're like, it's, it's like your own children. You know, you put so much into it, put so much of yourself into it. You can't pick just one. You know, um, AVP was my first film. It was a joy to be part of the Harry Potter franchise. I mean, just just laugh a minute, really, on Harry Potter. Uh, working with 
Ridley Scott on Prometheus was, uh, you know, an honour and a pleasure. If I had to, if you put a gun to it and had to pick one, it would be the Predator in AVP Requiem, because that's the character that I've. That's, I think that's the character that's got most of me in it. Yeah, gotcha. Harry Potter is such a fun franchise. What characters did you play in that? I, I, um, I was actually a stuntman in Harry oh, Potter. Stuntman. I doubled for Francis de la Tour, ah, who plays cool. Madame Maxime. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Very cool. So you've gotten to work with some pretty amazing actors, too, though. I mean, some pretty famous people that, you know, are, are, are well-known actors and have had years of experience. So that's got to be a really, is it daunting or is it just like really cool? No, you know what? It's 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 such an amazing industry because if you're a computer programmer, for example, you know it's highly unlikely that you'll go to work one day and be discussing the uh, you know the finer points of computer programming with with Bill Gates, as an example. But as an actor, you can walk on set any day, anywhere, and you could be working with some of the leading lights of the industry. Yeah, that's pretty amazing stuff. I that's what I always enjoyed when I was working on films too. Is and most of the people, in my experience, were, who are most talented are the nicest people in the world. They're so friendly and nice on set, you know, so that's always a joy. Um, hopefully you found the same thing. Yes, I did. So I assume you get questions from fans about this, but do you have any best and worst advice for breaking into the acting field? <laughs> you want me to, to shout <laughs> bad advice? <laughs> well, it's always a bad advice. What people think of bad advice? <laughs> yeah, and, and we'll let the fans decide which one's which. Uh, no, um, my advice is, you know, don't ever let anyone tell you you can't do it. But be aware that that's making the decision is the first step. You know, the first step on the journey. Yeah. And once you've made that step. You know, the world is your oyster because now you've got a purpose. Now you know what you want. If you know what you want, go for it. And, you know, everyone's journey is different. Everyone in this industry has a journey that is different. No one's done it the same way. I didn't go to drama school. I learned by doing. My advice would be to go to drama school if you can. If not, take classes and, and go out and get life experiences and make mistakes and fall in love and fall out of love and, uh, you know, do things the way you want to do it. Act silly and just do stuff and get experiences. You, you know, it's, it's, it's an industry of honesty. You can't honestly uh, recreate experiences and feelings and emotions if you haven't experienced them yourself. To live. That's great advice for anything. I, I think that would be useful to, I mean, I know as a writer I always tell people that too. You know, go out there and experience stuff. That's what I got when I first started out as a writer back in the late 80s, back in Hollywood. They're like, you know, you're just, everything's too plain. You need to live life a little more so you have more experience to write from. And it frustrated the hell out of me at the time. But then I went off and did all this insane stuff and traveled all over the world and did all this stuff and came back to writing and found my way there, you know, 10, 15 years later. And now I'm, you know, having a lot more success. And I have a lot more to write about. They were absolutely right. So are there any dream projects that you have? Yeah, quite a few, actually. Um, you know, COVID-19 really shook the industry up. Thankfully, nothing I was working on got cancelled. It just got postponed. I was very, very lucky, actually, to have just about finished a TV show 
when we went into lockdown. Uh, it's called The Irregulars. It's coming to Netflix very, very soon. I managed to finish the film project uh, over the summer last year, which got postponed for three months. But the project I was looking forward to after that was uh, a feature, a horror feature film, which was going to be shot in Texas called Pillow Face. Pillow Face, yeah. interesting. You may have a lot of horror followers, horror fan followers who are familiar with Pillow Face. And when I read the script that was adapted from the novel, it was incredible. The director, Paul Layden, has made a fantastic script and a film that if we actually get to shoot it as it's written is going to be incredible. I'll just leave it there. It's going to be, I've really, really got fingers crossed that we get a chance to do this next year because it's going to be great. And I'm also working tentatively on a Dracula project with a director, but um, we're still searching for funding and actually trying to make a decision as to whether we're going to do it as a play or whether we're going to shoot it as a film, because actually it's set in a theatre. So um, we're not entirely sure how it's going to work at the moment. But if there's any producers listening, we are looking for funding. That's an interesting aspect of the whole industry. I mean, obviously COVID shut down a lot of things. It's interesting for me. I, I've always been a work-at-home guy, so it didn't affect me near as much as it affected a lot of people because I'm just I'm doing a lot more Zoom than I used to do. But other than that, I'm basically working from home where I've always worked. You know? Philip's working from home, and that's new for him, I think. You know, so you and he, he've had the effect. But I was curious, you know, so basically what happened with these projects is they just basically postponed them and said, we'll do them next year or that kind of thing. Is that basically what happened with most of them? Yes, pretty much. Yeah. A lot of projects went back into developments and, uh, you know, to be improved, improved sure. upon. But um, almost nothing got cancelled. I mean, in my experience, I'm sure things did get cancelled. Sure. I shot, uh, I, I was part of uh, an adaptation of Aldous Huxley's Brave New World last year. And that, the second series of that hasn't been renewed, which doesn't mean it's cancelled. It just means that the producers now have to uh, have to look for another home for it. So fingers crossed. Yeah. Philip, do you have a couple of, more questions? Yeah, actually, it was just, do you have any other like future plans to branch out uh, outside of acting or producing or directing or anything of that nature? I, I do a lot of... Yeah. No, not at the moment. You know, everything in its time. Yeah. You know, I'm a very patient man. If an opportunity arises, I'll, I'll entertain it. But, uh, you know, right now I'm, I'm happy to be in front of the camera. Very cool. Yeah. So you pretty much, like, you went from basketball, you went into acting. Has this pretty much been, I mean, have you had to work odd jobs in between, or have you pretty much had steady work the whole time? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> show me an actor who doesn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. What are, are, there some, <laughs> are there some amusing or interesting jobs you've done that you might want to talk about? Oh, I've done all sorts. I've worked in um, in a mental hospital. I've uh, done uh, part-time work working in a, a recycling plant for a while. I worked as a as a um, as a bodyguard for uh, for a bit. You know, bits and bobs here and there. You know, as I said before, you've got to get life experiences, and sometimes you've got to do what you've got to do. <laughs> sure. Well, I, and I, one of the things I'm curious about because I've I've never really asked anybody this. I've talked to a lot of actors, but you know, how hard is it to just have to go out and find new jobs? I mean, is it hard to get jobs because you're temporary and you're you're only going to be there for a short period of time until the next gig? I mean, does that cause you a lot of problems when you're looking for work? 
Uh, no, not especially. No, you know, the, the industry, you know, I've, I've become as, as you get older, the industry becomes an easier place to exist in. I have found. Well, good. That's great. Where can we go to people who want to get to know, you know, Ian White, who maybe haven't heard of you, or people who haven't discovered you? Where can they Where can they track you down and follow you and learn about what you're up to? Uh, well, I have. I'm pretty terrible on. Um, on social media, to be brutally honest, uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Ian underscore White, and I'm on Instagram at Ian dot White. But um, <laughs> don't expect me to change your life overnight. <laughs> <laughs> but occasionally you'll post things from time to time. <laughs> occasionally there'll be a nugget of wisdom. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, you know, that's great. Well, you know, you mentioned this. I, I not to backtrack, but um. I guess I really would like to ask you about this while you're on here. You know, I wasn't aware of, of any of your, uh, you know, not not that I want to pry too much into your personal life, but you said you have a you have a son. Do you have you have a wife and kids? Do you have a, a whole family? Uh, I have one uh, son. I'm married. I've been married for 20 years this year. Oh, awesome! Awesome. That can be tough in that business too. So that's great. 20 years is a, is a real marker. She's very understanding. That's great. And you guys live in. <laughs> You guys live somewhere in England, I know. Yes, we live in the northeast coast. Very cool. Okay. So, well, listen, you know, I want to thank you for making the time to be our kind of our, our, our first guest for the new season here. I really enjoyed well, absolute talking Absolute pleasure. And before yeah. I go, I'd just like to tell you about a film that's coming to America next month, the new uh, horror uh, film from Neil Marshall called The Reckoning which I believe has a limited uh, cinematic release in America on December 5th, but uh, is available on VOD platforms as well. And, um, yeah, so uh, check it out. And Okay, very cool. What role did you play in that, or are you allowed to tell us? I played a character called The Devil. The oh, Devil? Never heard of him. That sounds pretty ominous, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Talk about pressure, man. You got to be. You got to. You know. You want to play. The, if you're going to play the devil, you got to be scared. No. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, uh, it's it's really been delightful to to get to know you a little bit, and I I really look forward to seeing more of your work, certainly, and uh, and I, I I certainly have enjoyed it in the past. So uh, very cool. Well, Ian, thanks for tolerating all the the technical nonsense and everything, and uh, and hopefully. Uh, uh, we will get better at this as we go, but we appreciate you being our guinea pig. My absolute pleasure talking to you. Wow, that was a fun interview. Yeah, you know, it, it's always interesting to me to kind of hear these these personal journeys of, of any kind of creative, especially with Ian White, just going from basketball player to stuntman to to actor. It's, it's always really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of wish you told us a little bit more specifically about his injuries, but, you know, it's interesting that he's so casual about it, you know. It's like most of us are like... I'm imagining the worst when I hear somebody got injured, you know, but he's like, oh, yeah, well, it's just part of the job. <laughs> yeah, and I think what's interesting to me always is, you know, so many people kind of pursue acting. You know, we know of, like, all these people in Hollywood trying to pursue that, and it just kind of came to him, which I thought was really interesting. It's just, you know, it's like, oh, somebody gave him a call one day out of the blue, and next thing you know, he's doing the acting thing. That's right, but, you know, 
when you're over seven feet tall, I guess there are certain opportunities that might be appropriate to you that aren't going to be appropriate to just anybody. You know, I got the feeling he'd spent much of his life, especially his childhood, you know, having difficulties because of his height. It's great to see that he's now turned it around and is getting the advantages. Yeah, it's, it seems so counterintuitive, right? You, you think, well, you're seven feet tall, you know, you're not going to have a lot of people bullying you or anything of that nature. And, you know, it's usually considered a, a, a boon. You know, it's like, hey, you get to be on the basketball team, you're physically, you know, active. Uh, but, yeah, every, every, every journey is different. You can reach the high shelf. That's what I get a lot. I can reach the high shelf. But, you know, I got made fun of for being taller than most of my classmates, too, when I was a kid. And I'm only six foot one and a half. So I, I can kind of relate to how he must have felt. You know, uh, it was probably really hard to get a date. Well, there's probably a lot of stuff he went through. And it's good to see him doing so well because he's such a nice guy. Yeah, he really is. And it's, it's interesting because I'm 5'8", so I certainly got uh, – I got my share of, you know, height jokes. So uh, apparently there's no uh, perfect height. Uh, <laughs> every uh, every height's a target for bullying, apparently. Yeah. Well, and I'm jealous as hell of his resume, too, all the different really cool – I mean, he's appeared in every cool franchise there is out there. I, I'm jealous myself. I wish I'd gotten to do that. So it's really cool. So hopefully everybody enjoyed the interview, and, and we're going to have more guests like Ian. He's kind of the first one for this season. We're going to have a mix – of actors, we're going to have authors, we're going to have some gaming people, we're going to have some artists come on, we're going to have hopefully some musicians come on, we're going to have a voiceover guy come on who's an actor, but he specifically does cartoon voices. We're just going to have some really interesting people. I'm hoping to bring some directors on, like I know a couple of female directors, I'm hoping to get one or two of them on and and talk about uh, what it's like to be female directors in Hollywood, because that's, that's kind of a, a apropos topic these days. And also, you know, some other directors as well. So I think you're going to see an eclectic variety of guests moving forward. But our next guest is a very popular children's author named Stacia Deutsch. And her New York Times bestseller was Cloudy with a Side of Meatballs, the, the movie tie-in book. But she's also done uh, a lot of really really cool books of her own, including um, she has her own series, Beyond the Pale, and a few other things as well that are really cool that she's written from other tie-ins, Book of the Dead, and so on and so forth. She's got a story coming up in, a, in an anthology I'm doing on the experiments of Marie Curry when she was youngster. So she should be a really fun interview because she's got done a lot of really interesting stuff. And that'll be... Um, in two weeks after this one. Can't wait to hear it. Can't wait to, yeah. to interview. Yeah. In the meantime, again, check us out at our main site at anchor.fm slash genre talk podcast. That's where you'll find the show notes and all the episodes and all that stuff. You obviously can still listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are hosted, but the show notes are located at the Anchor site. And again, we also have a Facebook page, www.facebook.com slash genre talk podcast. That is where we post a lot of the updates, the latest interview we did, and a list of the upcoming interviews and so on. You can email questions for those interviews to genre talk podcast at gmail.com. But keep in mind that we are recording about three months in advance. So, once we get the list up, which it should be up by the time this show airs, you'll have an idea three, three, four months from now who we're interviewing, and you'll probably have time to start getting 
questions in. We'll 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 prompt you and say, hey, if you have any questions for so and so, we're getting ready to do the interview next week. Send us your questions, and we'll try to get one or two of those questions in if we can. But make them interesting. Make it something that you don't think anybody else would ask. Like the stuff that we ask, we're all you know we're going to get. Give us something unique that we can ask them, and we, we'll, we'll probably pick your question, and, and, and we'll say, hey, we have a question from so-and-so, and we'll read it out on air. So anyway, that's a fun way that you guys can participate. The other thing you can do is if you want to interact with Philip and I on social media, you can, you can find our social media links out there. So they'll also be posted on the, on the Facebook page, and you can see them through Genre Talk Podcast, Twitter at Genre Talk Podcast. You can also interact with us and some of the guests who come to the Facebook page. After the show, we usually put a, put a Ask Us Anything window up, and you can kind of put submit questions for the guests, and we ask them to stop by a few times and check and see if uh, there's any questions they need to answer. So that'll be the opportunity for you to do that, and that'll go up live. That's up live now as the show comes out. So anyway, thanks again, Philip. Welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me, Brian, and I'm happy to – get started with this and then see what the uh, next few podcasts bring. By the way, I was ready to say goodbye, but I just remembered I should add, Philip is booking some pretty cool guests. So Philip's going to be taking the lead on some of these episodes, and I'll be taking the lead on others. There's people he's booking, like, from Riot Games and other stuff, where he knows a lot more about what they do than I do. So he'll be kind of leading the interview. So it's kind of going to be a little different from last season where I was kind of the main lead. But that's cool. I, I'm glad we can explore more topics and more people because I think it brings more and better content for you guys. Also, don't hesitate to go out there and tell us who you want to see as guests if there's somebody you'd really like us to try to get. If we book them on the first season, the shows are live. We're not going to book anybody again until at least the next season because we don't want to do duplicates all the time, okay? Only, you know, they'll have to appear every other season. But if it's somebody you really want to see that we haven't done, by all means, let us know. We'll see if we can get them. Anyway, for now, this is Genre Talk, episode two, season, um, season two, episode one, with Ian White. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Genre Talk was hosted by Brian Thomas Schmidt and Philip Vargas. Copyright 2021 to Brian Thomas Schmidt and Philip Vargas. Music for Genre Talk was created by DJ Manifesto. Genre Talk was edited by Randy Strew for Envision Podcasting.